Good afternoon again, Senators. Mr. President. There are two fundamental questions for purposes of this free speech analysis. First, does the First Amendment to the Constitution apply in this chamber to these impeachment proceedings? Second, if it does, do the words spoken by Mr. Trump at the Ellipse on January 6th meet the definition of constitutional incitement so as to void the protections afforded by the First Amendment? I will explain why the answers to both of these questions must be a resounding yes. The Constitution in the First Amendment must certainly apply to these impeachment proceedings, and Mr. Trump's speech deserves full protection under the First Amendment. But before getting into the legal analysis, some preliminary observations about the House manager's case should be made. First, this case, unfortunately, is about political hatred. It has become very clear that the House Democrats hate Donald Trump. This type of political hatred has no place in our political institutions and certainly no place in the law. This hatred has led the House managers to manipulate and selectively edit Mr. Trump's speech to make it falsely appear that he sought to incite the crowd to violently attack the Capitol. He didn't, and we will show you why. The hatred has also led the House managers to make some astounding legal arguments. They astoundingly urge you to disregard your oath by ignoring the First Amendment of the Constitution. They also ignore landmark binding United States Supreme Court cases, precedents, Wood and Bond, both of which unequivocally hold that elected officials have core First Amendment rights to engage in the exact type of political speech which Mr. Trump engaged in. I was shocked the House managers not only spent a mere three pages on the First Amendment analysis in their trial memo, but yesterday they spent a, three, a mere 10 minutes at the end of their case as a throwaway. What we have read and what we have heard is devoid of any constitutional analysis for less than what I would expect from a first-year law student. They left out landmark cases, total intellectual dishonesty. And finally, Hatred is at the heart of the House manager's frivolous attempt to blame Donald Trump for the criminal acts of the rioters based on double hearsay statements of fringe right-wing groups based on no real evidence other than rank speculation. Hatred is a dangerous thing. We all have to work to overcome it. Hatred should have no place in this chamber, in these proceedings. The second observation. The Senate is presented with an extraordinary task sitting in judgment of a former president's words in a speech that he gave at a political event. 
The House managers accused Mr. Trump of using his words to incite the horrific events at the Capitol on January 6th. But yesterday, they gave you a new and novel standard of incitement with an element of foreseeability, a negligence concept. They cite zero case law. They made it up. This task of applying a completely made up legal standard of incitement to an impeachment proceeding is truly an unprecedented task for the Senate. And that is something the Senate must seriously consider when deciding the issue. Do you want to create a precedent where the Senate will be tasked with sitting in judgment as to the meaning and implied intent of a president's words or words of any elected official? Will that allow and maybe encourage a majority party to weaponize the awesome power of impeachment against the minority to suppress a point of view? Will the Senate then have to deal with constant articles of impeachment by a majority party accusing minority presidents or other elected officials of so-called insightful or false speeches? You can see where this would lead. Sadly, we have all seen the political rhetoric get ratched up over the last few years. We've all been witnesses to many incendiary words by our officials at political events broadcast over the media internet. In each of those instances, will there now be Senate impeachment hearings? One last observation. We agree with the House managers, context does indeed matter. The inflammatory rhetoric from our elected officials must be considered as part of the larger context of Mr. Trump's speech at the ellipse on January 6th. The inflammatory language from both sides of the aisle has been alarming, frankly. But this political discourse must be considered as part of these proceedings to contextualize Mr. Trump's words. We have some video to play that highlights some of what I'm talking about. I preface this video by noting I am not showing you this video as some excuse for Mr. Trump's speech. This is not about, this is not whataboutism. I am showing you this to make the point that all political speech must be protected. I, I, I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country, and maybe there will be. There needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there is unrest in our lives. you got to be ready to throw a punch. You have to be ready to throw a punch. Donald Trump, I think you need to go back and, and punch him in the face. That I thought he should have punched him in the face. I feel like punching him. I'd like to take him behind the gym if I were in high school. If you were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. No, I wish you were in high school, I could take him behind the gym. I will go and take Trump out tonight. Take them out now. Okay. When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? They're still going to have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump. Show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. 
please get up in the face of some Congress people. People will do what they do. I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. We're going to go in there, we're going to... This is just a warning to you Trumpers. Be careful. Walk lightly. And for those of you who are soldiers, make them pay. If you had to be stuck in an elevator with either President Trump, Mike Pence, or Jeff Sessions, who would it be? Does one of us have to come out alive? <laughs> Again, I did not show you their robust speech to excuse or balance out the speech of my client, for I need not. I showed you the video because in this political forum, all robust speech should be protected, and it should be protected evenly for all of us. As a brief aside, we should all reflect and acknowledge the rhetoric has gotten to be too much and over the top. It is grading on the collective well-being of the body public the citizens. Most would like it to stop. But the point is, when you see speech such as this, you have to apply the First Amendment evenly, blindly. She is blind, Lady Justice. Question one. Does the First Amendment apply to this chamber in these proceedings? The House manager's position, as stated in their trial brief, is, and I quote, the First Amendment does not apply at all to an impeachment proceeding. That's their position. This is plainly wrong. The text of the First Amendment expressly restricts Congress from regulating speech. It says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. To ignore the Constitution would be contrary to the oath of office of a United States Senator. I do solemnly swear or affirm that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. Well, you all know the rest. No, the Senate cannot ignore the First Amendment. The Constitution itself limits the, the ability of the House to impeach, to limited items, such as high crimes and misdemeanors. The position advanced by the House managers is essentially an unlimited impeachment standard without constitutional guardrails unmoored to any specific legal test 
other than the unbridled discretion of Congress. This is distinctly not the intent of the framers. The framers were aware of the danger of any impeachment process that would make the president the mere creature of the legislature, a quote, directly from the framers while debating the impeachment process on the floor of the Constitutional Convention of 1787. The framers were fearful that any impeachment process that gave Congress full discretion on the standard for impeachment would constitute nothing less than a violation, quote, a violation of the fundamental principle of good government. One founding father, James Wilson, wrote extensively on the impeachment process. Mr. Wilson was a renowned legal scholar at the time, a law professor at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. He was a major force in drafting and adopting the Constitution in 1787. He served as one of the first Supreme, one of the first six Supreme Court justices, 1789 to 1798. He was appointed by President George Washington. In fact, Wilson taught the first course on the new Constitution to President Washington and his cabinet the first in the nation's history in Philadelphia at the University of Pennsylvania in 1789. Wilson, in his law lectures, the first of their kind under the Constitution, plainly states that the Senate may not ignore the Constitution in impeachment proceedings. He states that lawful and constitutional conduct may not be used as an impeachable offense. Let me say that again. He states that lawful and constitutional conduct may not be used as an impeachable offense. Read along with me. The doctrine of impeachments is of high import in the constitutions of free states. On one hand, the most powerful magistrate should be amenable to the law. On the other hand, elevated characters should not be sacrificed merely on account of their elevation. No one should be secure while he violates the Constitution and the laws. Everyone should be secure while he observes them. To be clear, James Wilson is saying that the Constitution does indeed apply when judging whether to convict an official by impeachment. If the complaint of conduct is constitutional, it cannot be impeachable. Are we to ignore the words and teachings of James Wilson? The House managers surely want you to. The House managers have made several references to this letter, signed by 140 partisan law professors, calling Mr. Trump's First Amendment defense legally frivolous. This is really an outrageous attempt to intimidate Mr. Trump's lawyers. Whenever a lawyer 
advances a truly frivolous argument, they may violate professional ethical rules and could be subject to discipline. This letter is a direct threat to my law license, my career, and my family's financial well-being. These law professors should be ashamed of themselves and so should the house managers. How dare you? Do you really hate Donald Trump so much that you're willing to destroy good, hard-working people's lives, people that are only doing their jobs, and frankly, as counsel for an accused fulfilling a constitutional role? It's astounding, really. I'm a citizen, not a politician. I know these First Amendment arguments are not anywhere close to frivolous. They are completely meritorious. Interestingly, the law professor's letter was issued on February 5th, three days before we even filed our legal brief in this matter, and they ignored landmark bedrock Supreme Court cases directly addressing this issue. In our brief, we have a direct quote from James Wilson, the founding father supporting our position. The direct quote was documented in the founding father's original legal papers. Do I have those with me? On the subject. He was the primary draftsman of the Constitution who taught the new Constitution to President Washington. He says, so long as acts of elected officials like Mr. Trump are constitutionally protected, he should not be impeached. We have landmark U.S. Supreme Court decisions, Wood and Bonds, which I'll explain in detail, supporting our position. All of this, the House managers and the partisan law professors completely and misleadingly ignore. Frivolous? Hardly. The, the letter is a bully tactic, and I think evidence is the House managers know they have a problem with the First Amendment defense on the merits, so they're resorting to such tactics. The House manager's suggestion that the First Amendment does not apply to this impeachment process is completely untenable. Ignoring the First Amendment would conflict with the Senator's oath of office. It would also conflict with well-settled Supreme Court precedent and ignore the intent of the framers of the Constitution, such as James Wilson. Above all else, ignoring the Constitution would adopt the new Raskin common sense doctrine we heard yesterday, eroding hundreds of years of First Amendment protections. We are here under the Constitution. It is illogical what the House managers say. The Constitution does apply to this constitutional impeachment process. It's double talk, nonsense, illogical. If the House managers had their way, they would ignore all of the Constitution. Does that include the Sixth Amendment? The right to counsel? They would have Mr. Trump sitting here without lawyers. And who would be next? It could be anyone. One of you. Or one of you. 
you must reject this invitation to ignore the First Amendment. It is anti-American and would set dangerous precedent forever. The law has developed over the years to clearly establish elected officials have the right to engage in protected speech. Mr. Trump is not just a guy on the street or a guy at a bar or a fire chief or a police officer. There were a few of them in there. All analogies given by the House managers. These sideways analogies are wrong. Mr. Trump was an elected official and there is an entire body of law, Supreme Court landmark cases supporting the conclusion that Mr. Trump actually has enhanced free speech rights because he is an elected official. These cases are ignored by the House managers and the law professors. And that too is total intellectual dishonesty. The Supreme Court has long held that the First Amendment's right to freedom of speech protects elected officials. Two important on-point decisions from the Supreme Court, Wood versus Georgia and Bond versus Floyd, expressly contradict the House manager's position. The House managers do not even cite those cases in their brief. They barely acknowledged them in their reply, and they were mum on them yesterday. In Wood versus Georgia, the Supreme Court addressed a case involving a sitting sheriff whose reelection was being investigated by a grand jury and paneled by a judge based on allegations of irregular Negro block voting. It was in the 60s. The sheriff spoke publicly in multiple press releases calling the grand jury investigations racist, illegitimate, and an attempt to intimidate voters. He even urged the grand jurors on how to decide the issues and not let its high office be a party to any political attempt to intimidate voters. The sheriff viewed the grand jury as challenging the legitimacy of his election. The sheriff even sent a letter to the grand jurors with these allegations, which is an extraordinary step since laws in most states, including Georgia, prohibit attempts to influence or intimidate jurors. The sheriff was charged and convicted of contempt of court and obstruction of the grand jury. But the Supreme Court, in a decision written by Justice Brennan, reversed. The court held that the First Amendment protected an elected public official's speech because the voting controversy directly affected the sheriff's political career. G29. The petitioner was an elected official and had, read with me, please, everybody. The petitioner was an elected official and had the right to enter the field of political controversy particularly where his political life was at stake. The role that elected officials play in our society makes it all the more imperative that they be allowed freely to express themselves on matters of current public importance. 
Would, thus, stands for the proposition that a difference of political opinion expressed in the speech on an issue of voting irregularity cannot be punishable where all that was done was to encourage investigation and peaceful political speech. Just like Mr. Trump has done here, the legal scholars call that directly on point. A second case, Bond versus Floyd, involved a state legislature punishing an elected official for protected political speech. Bond is particularly instructive here too. In Bond, the Supreme Court squarely addressed the question of an elected official's punishment by a legislature for statements alleged to have incited public violation of the law, the burning of draft cards. The court unequivocally rejected the idea, advanced here by the House managers, that an elected official is entitled to no protection under the First Amendment. The Supreme Court held that the Georgia House of Representatives was in fact forbidden by the First Amendment from punishing Bond by not seating him for advocating against the policy of the United States. There are three fundamental holdings in Bond. One, the manifest function of the First Amendment in a representative government requires that legislators be given the widest latitude to express their views on issues of policy. Two, just as erroneous statements must be protected to give freedom of expression the breathing space it needs to survive, so statements criticizing public policy and the implementation of it must be similarly protected. Third holding. Legislators have an obligation to take positions on controversial political questions so that their constituents can be fully informed by them and be better able to assess their qualifications. Please read along with me. Their qualifications for office. Also, so they may be represented in governmental debates by the person they have elected to represent them. Mr. Trump enjoys this same First Amendment protection from Congress. The First Amendment's protections guarantee free speech addressing the electoral integrity issues essential to his career that Mr. Trump has consistently advocated. The House managers argue that the First Amendment, and I quote, does not shield public officials who occupy sensitive policy-making positions from adverse actions when their speech undermines important governmental interests. That is flat wrong. They are, in essence, attempting to treat Mr. Trump as their employee. This is not the law under Wood and Bond. Mr. Trump was elected by the people. He is an elected official. The Supreme Court says elected officials must have the right to freely engage in public speech. Indeed, the Supreme Court expressly rejected the House manager's 
argument and Wood versus Georgia, holding that the sheriff was not a civil servant, but elected an elected official who had core First Amendment rights which could not be restricted. That's Wood v. Georgia, page 395, footnote 21. The House managers do not mention Wood or Bond in the trial brief or anywhere else. Why? Why not? Because it does not fit their narrative or their story. They want to punish Mr. Trump for engaging in constitutionally protected free speech, and they do not want you to consider the issue. But you must. Question two. Does Mr. Trump's speech deserve protection under the First Amendment? There is no doubt Mr. Trump engaged in constitutionally protected political speech that the House has improperly characterized as incitement of insurrection. The fatal flaw of the House's argument is that it seeks to mete out governmental punishment, impeachment, based on First Amendment political speech. Speech for political purposes is the kind of activity to which the First Amendment offers its strongest protection. These are bedrock principles recognized by our Supreme Court for decades. The court has stated in no uncertain terms the importance of these principles to our democratic principles. The general proposition that freedom of expression upon public questions is secured by the First Amendment has long been settled by our decisions. The constitutional safeguard, we have said, was fashioned to assure unfettered interchange of ideas for the bringing about of political and social changes desired by the people. New York Times v. Sullivan. Our First Amendment decisions have created a rough hierarchy in the constitutional protection of speech. Core political speeches occupy the highest, most protected position. Even political speech that may incite unlawful conduct is protected from the reach of government punishment. The court has said, every idea is an incitement. And if speech may be suppressed when it might inspire someone to act unlawfully, then there is no limit to the state's sensorial power. The government may not prohibit speech because it increases the chances of an unlawful act will be committed, committed at some indefinite time in the future. The House managers showed you a series of tweets going all the way back to 2015 in an effort to prove incitement. All of that evidence is totally irrelevant under the constitutional definition of incitement. Brandenburg versus Ohio is really the landmark case on the issue of incitement speech. Half of the case was mentioned yesterday. In the Brandenburg v. Ohio case, another landmark, the court held the government may only, 
the government may only suppress speech for advocating the use of force or a violation of law if such advocacy is directed to inciting or producing eminent lawless action and is likely to incite or produce such action. The Brandenburg holding has been interpreted as having three basic prongs to determine if speech meet the definition of incitement. The Brandenburg test precludes speech from being sanctioned as incitement to a riot unless this one, the speech explicitly or implicitly encouraged use of violence or lawless action. Two, the speaker intends that his speech will result in use of violence or lawless action. And three, the imminent use of violence or lawless action is likely, is the likely result of the speech. The House managers cannot get past the first prong of the Brandenburg test. They have not and cannot prove Mr. Trump explicitly or implicitly encouraged use of violence or lawless action, period. Brandenburg requires a close examination of the words themselves. The words are either important or they're not. The House managers admitted that the incitement issue is not about the words. Why not? Because on the face of it, Mr. Trump's words are no different than the figurative speech used by every one of the senators assembled here today. If it is not about the words, but about the big lie of a stolen election, then why isn't House Manager Raskin guilty since he tried to overturn the 2016 election? The more the House managers speak, the more hypocrisy gets revealed. Hypocrisy. Even though they say it's not about the words, the law under Brandenburg requires a close analysis of the words to determine incitement. So we need to look at those words. Mr. Trump did the opposite of advocating for lawless action, the opposite. He expressly advocated for peaceful action at the Save America rally. He explicitly stated, these are the words. I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. To peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. That is how this president has spoken for years when he condemns violence, lawlessness, and rioters. The House managers have played manipulated, selectively edited parts of Mr. Trump's speech. They focus heavily on the word fight. The president used the word fight 20 
times in his speech. They picked only two. Why? Why not the other 18? Because they don't tell the story the way they want to tell it. Here are all of them. Listen to the context. And Rudy, you did a great job. He's got guts. You know what? He's got guts. Unlike a lot of people in the Republican Party, he's got guts. He fights. He fights. And I'll tell you, thank you very much, John. Fantastic job. I watched. That's a tough act to follow, those two. There's so many weak Republicans, and we have great ones. Jim Jordan and some of these guys, they're out there fighting. The House guys are fighting. But it's, uh, it's incredible. Many of the Republicans, I helped them get in. I helped them get elected. Get rid of How do you say I want to get rid of America first? Even if you're going to do it, don't talk about it, right? Unbelievable what we have to go through. What we have to go through, and you have to get your people to fight. And if they don't fight, we have to primary the hell out of the ones that don't fight. You primary them. We're going we're gonna to let you know who they are. I could already tell you, frankly. Republicans are constantly fighting like a boxer with his hands tied behind his back. It's like a boxer. And we want to be so nice. We want to be so respectful of everybody, including bad people. And we're going to have to fight much harder. And Mike Pence is going to have to come through for us. And if he doesn't, that will be a, a sad day for our country. Because you're sworn to uphold our Constitution. And the accountability says, if we see somebody in there that doesn't treat our vets well, or they steal, they rob, they do things badly, we say, Joe, you're fired. Get out of here. Before you couldn't do that. You couldn't do that before. So we've taken care of things. We've done things like nobody's ever thought possible. And that's part of the reason that many people don't like us, because we've done too much. But we've done it quickly, and we were going to sit home and watch a big victory, and everybody had us down for a victory. It was going to be great. And now we're out here fighting. I said to somebody I was going to take a few days and relax after our big electoral victory. 10 o'clock, it was over. The American people do not believe the corrupt fake news anymore. They have ruined their reputation. But you know, it used to be that they'd argue with me, I'd fight. So I'd fight, they'd fight, I'd fight, they'd fight, bop, up. You'd believe me, you'd believe them. Somebody comes out, you know, they had their point of view, I had my point of view. But you'd have an argument. Now what they do is they go silent. It's called suppression. And that's what happens in a communist country. That's what they do. They suppress. You don't fight with them anymore, unless it's a bad story. If they have a little bad story about me, they make it 10 times worse and it's a major headline. But Hunter Biden, they don't talk about him. What happened to Hunter? Where's Hunter? With your help over the last four years, we built the greatest political movement in the history of our country, and nobody even challenges that. I say that over and over, and I never get challenged by the fake news. And they challenge almost everything we say. But our fight against the big donors, big media, big tech, and others is just getting started. This is the greatest in history. There's never been a movement like that. Our brightest days are before us. Our greatest achievements 
still wait. I think one of our great achievements will be election security, because nobody until I came along had any idea how corrupt our elections were. And again, most people would stand there at 9 o'clock in the evening and say, I want to thank you very much. And they go off to some other life. But I said, something's wrong here. Something's really wrong. Can't have happened. And we fight. We fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. Our exciting adventures and boldest endeavors have not yet begun. My fellow Americans, for our movement, for our children, and for our beloved country. And I say this, despite all that's happened, the best is yet to come. A boxer fighting with his hand tied behind his back. Members of Congress fighting. Rudy being Rudy. These are the metaphorical, rhetorical uses of the word fight. We all know that, right? Suddenly, the word fight is off limits. Spare us the hypocrisy and false indignation. It's a term used over and over and over again by politicians on both sides of the aisle. And of course, the Democrat House managers know that the word fight has been used figuratively in political speech forever. But don't take it from me. It's best to listen to them. Our mission is to fight. Our job is to fight. We are in a fight. We are in a fight. We are in a fight. Democrats are fighting as hard as we can. Democrats are standing up to fight. We know how to fight. We like a good fight. Democrats are going to fight like hell. We fight like hell. I'm going to fight like hell. I will fight like hell. We're going to fight like hell. I'm going to fight like hell. Fight like hell. I will fight like hell. We have to fight like hell. I, and I know many other senators and members of the House, will fight like hell. We are going to fight like hell. We're going to fight like hell. We're going to fight like hell. And we just have to fight. We're going to fight. We are going to fight. We're going to fight. We're going to fight. Because you will fight. To fight. Political revolution. That means that millions, 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 millions have got to stand up and fight and fight and fight. Stand up and fight back to fight and continue to fight. Once again, fight back in the fight. But we're fighting back. My fight to fight an administration. You don't get what you don't fight for. We'll also fight him and challenge him in every way that we can. Fight in Congress, fight in the courts, fight in the streets. In the Congress, in the courts, and in the streets. There's the fight, there's the fight, there's the fight, and then there's the fight to defend. We're eager to take on this fight. The American people are going to have to fight. Get in this fight. Get in this fight. Uh, around the clock fighting. We've got to keep fighting and keep focused. We will fight when we must fight. We've been fighting, so we need to fight, but we also need to fight. It's always going to be an uphill fight. This is going to be a fight. We always must fight. We're in the fight of our lives. And we're going to be in for the fight of our lives. This is the fight of our life. The fight of their lives. We are in this fight for our lives. We cannot ever give up fighting. Hypocrisy. The reality is Mr. Trump was not in any way shape or form instructing these people to fight 
or to use physical violence. What he was instructing them to do was to challenge their opponents in primary elections to push for sweeping election reforms, to hold big tech responsible, all customary and legal ways to petition your government for redress of grievances, which of course is also protected constitutional speech. But the house managers don't want you to focus on those things because again, it does not fit their story. In the end, I leave you with this quote from Benjamin Franklin. Freedom of speech is a principal pillar of a free government. When this support is taken away, the constitution of a free society is dissolved and tyranny is erected on its ruins. Thank you. Mr. <clears throat> Mr. President. The majority leader. I ask unanimous consent the Senate recess for a 15 minute break. Without objection.